Let's pray. Oh God, there we are, what we just sang, resting beside the weary road, longing to hear the music of the angels. Let us, with bended ear, keep listening. Surely the music you will send it to our souls in this dark night when the morning star rises. We pray in his name. Amen. The Christmas carol that we just sang was composed in 1849 by Edmund Sears, pastor of the Unitarian Church in Wayland, Massachusetts. He, a colleague friend of his over in uh, Quincy asked him, compose something I can use for my Christmas service. So the words first appeared December 29, 1849 in Boston in the Christian Register. However, Edmund Sears actually wrote five stanzas. We, most hymnals only include the three that we have just sung. But I want us not to sing, not to sing these five, but to, to, to prepare our hearts. I want to read the five with you. So I'm going to put them on the screen. In the, in the exact wording as he rendered it, it's been kind of uh, genderized and over the years, but th th this will be his wording and in the sequence. So there goes that first stanza. You see it on the screen. We know it well. It came. I just love this carol, don't you? It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Here comes their song. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men. From heaven's all-gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Now stanza two we, are, we have in our hymnal. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains they bend on hovering wing and ever o'er its babel sounds the blessed angels sing. Now here comes one of the stanzas, one of the two, not in our hymnal. Yet with the woes of sin and strife the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel's strain have rolled two thousand years of wrong. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. And then the last stanza, his fourth, we just sang it. And ye, I love the imagery here, and ye beneath life's crushing load whose forms are bending low. Every time I sing this, I think of those Oba-sons, as we call them, little grandmothers in Japan where I grew up, the Oji-sons. How many times have I seen them? Just uh, the Japanese are short people, and uh, this was, uh, the, the elderly are stooped over this beautiful linen wrapping up the burden, whatever it is, and I've seen them just, just trudging up the road. Some of you who have come to this worship service today with a load that is heavy on your heart. It feels like you carry it all alone. The stanza's for you, it's for me. And ye beneath life's crushing load whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, 
Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. And then this fifth stanza, not in our hymnal. For lo, the days are hastening on. I love this. For prophet bards foretold when with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold, a new earth one day, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world give back the song which now the angels sing. It came upon a midnight, midnight clear, but on this Christmas of 2012, when I understand the theme of the season is making spirits bright, it feels a bit grinchy to remind you. Though who on earth needs a reminding anymore? To remind you that it is still midnight on this earth. But unlike that first midnight, it is not a midnight clear down here. I came off the slopes of Steamboat. We just looked at it a moment ago. Last Friday, four hours of glorious skiing with the Andrews University student ski trip. I'm coming back to the hotel room that we're sharing with, with uh, our daughter-in-law, Chelsea, uh, her family, her mom and dad, and her sister, and Kirk. Come walking back into the room, and there are Lori, Chelsea's mom, and Karen, staring with this look of disbelief at the television screen. I can't see what they're looking at, so I tromp across the room and see the CNN screen, and I look down to the banner, and I read the words... Twenty of the victims were children. And I tell you the truth, my stomach just twisted as I slowly began to grasp the magnitude of the horror that descended over that little Connecticut city called Newtown. Twenty-eight gunned down, twenty, twenty of them six- and seven-year-old school children. It is midnight on this earth, and the whole world knows it. We're not letting out a little secret here today. The world knows it's midnight. To the place three American companies now since last weekend have been selling armored children's backpacks off the shelves. In America. This Christmas. One father, they got a hold of one father, they interviewed him. These little backpacks have a uh, uh, an armored plate between $150 and $300 that you slip into the backpack to protect the child from any shots from the back. Ken Larson, 41 of Denver, already had an armored backpack for himself and convinced his wife to buy one for their one-year-old after the Connecticut shooting last Friday. For their one-year-old. Quoting Dad, it's a no-brainer. My son's life is invaluable. If I can get him a backpack for $200 that makes him feel safer, I don't even have to think about it. Where's my credit card? How did Edmund Sears, how did he frame it in that stanza we have left out? It's the third stanza in his order of five. I put it on the screen for you. Yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. It's still midnight. The world still suffers. Beneath the angel's strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. 
On that first Christmas long ago, it might have been a midnight clear, but on this Christmas, while it is midnight for sure, it is not a midnight clear down here. The kabuki dance that our politicians in Washington are dragging us through over this thing called the fiscal cliff. Do they really suppose we're being entertained by all of this? And if this weren't enough, NASA's phones are ringing off the hook this last week as troubled Americans called the only ones they could think of to inquire if, in fact, the world was really going to end yesterday. So NASA put up a special website, interviews with scientists, frequently asked questions. 4.6 million viewers went there. No doubt comforted by the video NASA posted why the world didn't end yesterday. It came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Could it be that for this midnight, the morning star was born? Open your Bible with me for our Christmas homily to the Bible's last book, to the Bible's last page, Revelation chapter 22. The morning star rises. Our little mini-series, we're putting it on the screen for you right now. Our little mini-series, three parts. There's the website, www.pmchurch.tv. You want the whole series? It'll be wrapped today. You can have all three of them. Three references in the Holy Scriptures to the morning star. We have come to reference number three. One last glimpse of this star that was born for our midnight. Revelation, chapter 22. Perhaps like in my Bible, the last page of your Bible. Verse 16, I'm in the New King James Version. If you didn't bring a Bible, please just pull out the Pew Bible in front of you. It's page 834. You can track with us. Revelation 22, verse 16. If you have a red-letter edition, these words ought to be bright red. I, Jesus, will be speaking near the end of the entire corpus of sacred revelation. I, Jesus, have sent... My angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, the star that was born for our midnight. I am the bright and morning star. Red letter promise of the Lord himself. I am, and by the way, in the Greek, it's ego me. When John inserts that little couplet in the Greek embedded in his gospel or in the apocalypse. It is always, for John, a tacit pronouncement that the one who speaks these words is in fact the divine one himself. I am, I am, I always am. Those words spoken on these lips are always the God claim of eternal self-existence. I am. The bright and morning star. But look, at if, if Jesus is the bright and morning star that was born for our midnight, then how could he be the eternal? How could he possibly be the eternal I am if he has a birthday? Jesus clearly anticipates that probing question. So he inserts before the bright and morning star, I am, you see it there, I am, read it again, I am the root and the offspring of David. 
I am the root and offspring of David. Time out, Jesus. Please hold on. Who cares about this root and offspring business of David? If you knew, as I'm sure your heart does, that line means eternity to us because you remember, don't you, that we live on a fallen planet? Once upon a time, the pristine dominion of a prince and a princess named Adam and Eve, but a rebel angel, you remember, slithered up that tree in their garden home and usurped the dominion of our first human parents, declared himself the prince of the world. It is a huge deal. This claim to be the offspring of David is huge, for in its brief wording, it tells the Christmas narrative of the mysterious, the secret landing of the rightful king, to borrow the imagery of... C.S. Lewis, behind enemy lines, he lands. I am the offspring of David. So that he might grow up, if only he would survive to be grown up. He might grow up to engage the dark enemy hand to hand and face to face, battling for the throne of this planet and the seat of Almighty God. Should the Christ child grown up win that mortal battle on the cross, on the cross, he would not only inherit the throne of his father David, but he would be forever bound by ties, this God with the human race, bound by ties that eternally shall never be broken again. Hallelujah. Bound with us by his humanity, shattering the rule of this dark warlord. The cradle... You know this, but I am honored to remind you the cradle is for the sake of the cross. The cradle is the sake for the sake of the cross. But first, to get to that cradle, the great I am has to become a tiny zygote in the fresh womb of a young teenager, implanted deep within her, and then he comes. So it's no surprise when Angel Gabriel, let's put, this is part of the Christmas story early on, Angel Gabriel to the, to the stunned young teenager Mary. No surprise that the Angel Gabriel announces to her, and behold, young Mary, you will conceive in your womb and you will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. Now keep listening. And the Lord God will give him the throne of what? The throne of his father David. I am the root and the offspring of David. I was born in that womb. Heaven has carefully chosen a member of the tribe of Judah, King David's home tribe. But first, it must be placed within the womb, that little seed. And she gives birth to the offspring. David. Let's read the verse again. Verse 16, Revelation 22. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am, all caps in the English, if you would render the Greek correctly. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. Thus, once upon a long ago time, the morning star was birthed. This Christmas birth writ large in this single red letter verbatim at the end of Holy Scripture. The celebrated American writer, you're going to, uh, you have heard of her, of course. I'm talking about uh, Madeline Langle. She once grappled, grappled over this birthing in an essay she wrote called A Sky Full of Children. 
And I want to put a few lines of the essay up for you to ponder. This is Madeline writing, I walk out onto the deck of my cottage, looking up at the great river of the Milky Way flowing across the sky. A sliver of moon hangs in the southwest with the evening star gently in the curve. Evening, evening of this day, evening of my own life. I look at the stars and wonder, was there a moment known only to God when all the stars held their breath, when the galaxies paused in their dance for a fraction of a second, and the Word who had called it all into being went with all His love into the womb of a young girl, and the universe started to breathe again, and the ancient harmonies resumed their song, and the angels clapped their hands for joy. Was there a moment? And thus once upon a long ago time, the morning star was born, and the angels clapped their hands. And as soon, you, you, you know this, don't you? As soon as the morning star is born on earth, there is a new star birthed in heaven. Isn't that right? The morning star is heralded by a new star, the Christmas star. And when those oriental sages come I picture them loping in on their dromedaries into that benighted Jerusalem. Their question gave it away. You know the wise men's words there in Matthew 2, where is he, they ask anyone who might tell them, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. They know that the morning star is not just another star. He would be divine, this one who would be birthed in that land. We have come to worship him. They know who he is. Desire of Ages tugs the Christmas veil aside for a moment. I'll put the words on the screen for you. The wise men had seen a mysterious light in the heavens upon that night when the glory of God flooded the hills of Bethlehem. And as the light faded, a luminous star appeared and lingered in the sky. It was not a fixed star nor a planet, and the phenomenon excited the keenest interest. That star was a distant company of shining angels, but of this the wise men were ignorant. Yet they were impressed that the star was of special import to them. They consulted priests and philosophers, searched the scrolls of the ancient records, the prophecy of Balaam, an ancient member of their fraternity. The prophecy of Balaam had declared, there shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Could this strange star have been sent as a harbinger of the promised one? The Magi had welcomed the light of heaven, sent truth. Now it was shed upon them in brighter rays. Through dreams they were instructed to go in search of the newborn prince. Find the morning star. Find him. We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. A string of red-letter words writ large with the Christmas story. But two millennia later, I've got to ask you this. I mean, come on, let's be candid. <laughs> Please. What does this single line mean for the likes of you and me? The stirring point of Jesus' pronouncement lies in what surrounds it. And I didn't see this till just this week. In the last chapter of the Bible, on the last page of the Bible, this 
pronouncement, I am the bright and morning star, is surrounded by three other verbatims of Jesus. So if you have a red-letter Bible, this little passage is in red. There are three others, only three others. And as you examine the other three, you will discover a solitary line that appears in all three of them. In that line is the clue for the morning star. Let's look at them. Okay, so here, here's verse 7. There's the first of the red letters if you have a red-letter Bible. Here, here's verse 7, Revelation 22. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's go down to the second red letter verbatim. Verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Then we come to the third red letter verbatim, which is the one we've been meditating. So we'll drop down to the fourth one, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amazing. Three bordering verbatims and all three of them have the same line what was that what was the line that you heard in all three of them what is the line i am coming quickly i am coming quickly which by the way is not only embedded in this advent season for if christ our lord came once he would surely come again for without the second advent the first ab advent is utterly futile if there is no second advent there the first advent is pointless but not only is I am coming quickly embedded in the Advent season, I am co coming quickly is also embedded in the truth of the morning star. And I want you to think about this. For the morning star always shines in the darkest hour of the midnight just before daybreak. That's the point. In the darkest hour, which suggests that Earth's very present midnight is the destined time for the morning star to shine at his brightest above this earth. I'm talking about this economic midnight that balances the greatest economies on earth upon the razor edge, thin edge of collapse. I'm thinking about the environmental midnight that with stunning acceleration witnesses the depletion of earth's life-sustaining resources and earth's lifestyle-sustaining reserves. I'm thinking about this demographic midnight that we face on this planet that matches a burgeoning, underdeveloped world population with a diminishing food production and supplies. This ecological midnight that has seen the escalation of natural catastrophic events that even the most sophisticated society on earth cannot protect herself from. This moral midnight that reveals a human brutality as we just saw last week, so horrific that it can only be attributed to demonic possession among society's most vulnerable, never mind what the talking heads might suggest. The dark night rises. It is no midnight clear. It is a dark, dark night. The darkest hour. But in the midst of all of this midnight madness, the truth is, all of us privately, secretly, tremble before our own dark nights, do we not? Come on, be honest. Never mind the trillion-dollar deficits when all you've got are a couple of five-dollar bills and a refrigerator that is nearly empty. Who cares about the social meltdown and the cultural decay when your heart is broken by rejection and you suffer in loneliness? Let the talking heads debate what causes the headline darkness in the human mind when your own heart struggles with your private demons. 
What difference does the death rate make in the third world when death has robbed your own world of the love of your life? Who cares about the midnight of Earth's history when your own nights and days are midnight, day and night? I am, I, Jesus, testify to you. I am, I have sent my angel to you. I am your bright and morning star, and I am coming quickly. Which quietly means, ladies and gentlemen, on the Sabbath before Christmas 2012, which quietly means that this midnight, your midnight, my midnight, Earth's midnight, this midnight cannot and will not last forever. Hallelujah. I am your bright and morning star, and I come quickly. I have not forgotten you, girl. Boy, I have not forgotten you. I come quickly. In the darkest hour of your life, I shine most brightly. You see, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. Listen now as my wife Karen, at least at the keyboard, and Ken, the organ. Listen as Karen sings the pensive Mary's song, Breath of Heaven. by the 
Please stand as we pray. I, Jesus, have set my angel to you, for I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.